And we want to welcome everybody to another episode of the Technical Rapport. This is Dr. Scott Kowaleski. I'm joined with my uh, co-host and colleague extraordinaire, Dr. Bill Williamson. Hey. And uh, this will be our first episode of the 2017-2018 academic year. Uh, we're recording this on a very hot, steamy kind of uh, late September afternoon. Um, and our focus today, well, let me let me t- let me back up for a minute here, really quick, and talk a little bit about where we've been <laughs> um, over the last year or so. So we had a lot of really cool things happening over the last year. Uh, one of those things was uh, our office space has moved. So we were, uh, as some of you may know, over in Zanau on the second floor, kind of in this weird corridor space between uh, the library and Brown Hall. So we weren't actually like where all the books are in Zanau. We were just kind of in this weird like appendage kind of hallway. Uh, and so we moved to this really great space over in Curtis Hall. We're kind of tucked back in on the first floor behind the bookstore where uh, the information technology services used to be. Our usability lab uh, sort of overnight doubled in size, uh, and we're really excited about that. And the space has really uh, been uh, great for just in terms of bringing in folks and and having a bigger space. We've got a conference table now where we can hold meetings. Um, And so we're really excited about that. We've also got a dedicated classroom, which is actually where we're recording today. And I'll kind of bump back to that in a moment. Uh, And it's a dedicated Mac lab. Uh, right in the space. Uh, we're really excited about this. So uh, not only do I not have to walk very far <laughs> to get to most of the classes I'll teach, uh, but it's it, it has windows. And I'm looking outside right now, and that's like kind of cool. Um, I, I don't typically get to teach in a class that has a lot of windows, so I'm kind of excited about that. Um, the second thing that's been going on is we, uh, Dr. Bill and I, secured a grant to create a PTW recording studio to facilitate a lot of this audio work that we're doing, uh, not just this podcast, but things that we've been doing uh, in our own courses. Um, and so you might ask, well, why aren't we in there today? Well, <laughs> because the recording studio has really proven to be a useful resource for other campus activities. And so uh, right now there is uh, Tim Kenyon, who's a lecturer in English, and he's over there recording an episode of Red Pod, which is a campus-wide podcast. And so we're really happy to have that space to facilitate not just what we do here in the department, but what other folks across campus are, are wanting to do in terms of their own audio recording and podcasting. Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit more about that space in a future episode uh, and, and kind of give an overview of what it is. But I think it's important, at least initially here, Bill, to to talk about where we've been and some of the cool things that have been going on uh, over the last year or so. It has been a busy year. So us kind of going off the grid a little bit, so to speak, and, and, and not recording a lot of episodes over the last calendar year. It's not because we haven't been working. It's that other things have been been occupying us. And so we really take this episode as an opportunity to reprioritize the tech rapport, get ourselves back into the habit of doing regular recordings. And, and we've got a lineup of episodes planned for recording this semester that is pretty slick, pretty sweet, and we're excited to get rolling on it. And that sort of brings us then to where we're at today. And uh, our focus is on thinking about 
editing and publishing within the program. And we recorded an interview uh, last fall, actually, with a graduate, Sarah Kitchen, uh, who came through the program about five or six years ago. And she's been off doing terrific things in the New York publishing scene. And she came back around Thanksgiving, I believe it was, last year and and, and came through and, and, and visited the space and had a great conversation with, with Dr. Bill and Dr. Herzog and myself. And so we'll share that with you today. But before we do, uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about some of the opportunities for publishing and editing within the department. Uh, and this was something that, uh, of course, I had been involved with uh, as as in my professional life, working for uh, newspaper and magazine publications. Um, but I was really shocked when I started here about four or five years ago just how many students were really invested in thinking about publishing and editing as a career. In my mind, I think when I came here, it was more around uh, traditional kind of tech com jobs, uh, those that might be involved in in web design and working in, in digital kind of environments. But a number of our students really value and think about editing and publishing as viable career options, as well as they should. Uh, and so Dr. Bill has had an opportunity to teach a lot of those classes, including developing a digital publishing course in the past, uh, as well as he regularly teaches the editing course. So Bill, talk to us a little bit about sort of the approaches to those courses and how in the program uh, we help prepare students for those kinds of careers. Absolutely. You know, when we had Trevor Baranek on to talk about usability, one of the things that we highlighted in that conversation was how he individually was one of the driving forces in the program to get usability conversation going. And Sarah is one of the people who really was the that same kind of force or that same kind of factor with publishing and with editing. So at the time she was working for the Valley Vanguard, she was one of the editors. I can't remember if she was ever like the editor it, she was at least a section editor, and it seems to me that she was in charge of the whole thing for a while there. But um, if I have that wrong, I have that wrong. I'm, I'm sorry, folks. But uh, but the the more practical reality here is that we had a number of students in the program at the time who were interested in expanding upon the course offerings through independent study, focusing on different kinds of publishing models and different kinds of publishing opportunities and technologies. And Sarah was one of the people who came to me, and we ran an independent study, as we've done so many times three or four people, including Sarah, and she produced a lot of video for the Valley Vanguard and set standards for how they were going to incorporate some of that content. And they're still doing a little bit of that, not quite as much as they, as they were under Sarah, but um, but there's a, there's a legacy there that she has created and left behind about that material. And as you're saying, as you pointed out, we've got a lot of students who've come through that are interested in, in writing and being the talent on the page, but we've also got a lot of people who are interested in editing, in production, in design. We've got an intern this semester who is working on redesigning our own Cardinal Sins. Sins. There we go. I almost said Cardinal Solutions. <laughs> I, I, I'm participating in too many things with the name Cardinal in them, apparently. You know, it goes along with the university <laughs> name or mascot. But so Cardinal Sins is in, in the process of, of undergoing some renovation, so to speak. And, you know, that's just, that's that's one element of it. But you take all of those things collectively, and we've got a lot of talent and a lot of ability and a lot of interest in trying to develop different professional arcs career arcs along the lines of you know all these all these different possibilities within the publishing industry and so you know the, the way that we've approached it in the class at first it was very exploratory and then it became more 
more settled, more stable. And we would talk about whatever dimension of the publishing industry that was connected to the specific experience that students were engaged in. So in Sarah's case, we talked about digital publishing. We talked about what it means to incorporate video. We talked about what it means to incorporate audio. We talked about how a news organization such as CNN and a really, really big story has one main piece uh, you know, of, of traditional journalism that appears on their website, for example. But then there are all of these little satellite stories, snippets of different angles or specific interviews or um, infographics that explore technical or statistical details connected to something. And so you get this whole spectrum of news, uh, this news cluster, if you will, that is gathered around a particular topic. And, and we explored, you know, what are the implications of that kind of thing? How do you produce it? How do you make sense of it? How do you make sure that you are reaching out to different audiences? And, and, and how do we conceive of each of those little pieces as its own distinct thing, but then as an integrated part of a larger whole? And, and from that, I mean, you know, clearly there's a, there's a lot of thought that goes into that, but there's also just a ton of creativity that comes along with, with trying to think in those, in those ways. And, and Sarah was a pioneer for how we did those kinds of things here at SVSU. So if I'm a student who, or a potential student, I'm thinking, you know, working in publishing and editing seems like the thing that I really want to do. I've <clears throat> enjoyed reading uh, for much of my life, yep. and I've enjoyed uh, maybe even thinking about uh, doing peer review and peer feedback and helping my friends and colleagues develop stories and essays and, uh, you know, that that act of being in classroom and working with other students around things that they're writing. If these are the kinds of things that I'm interested in, what might I expect in the PTW program that kind of helps to prepare me for a career doing that kind of work full time? Well, one of the things about the program, of course, is that, and we've celebrated it before, we try to give people the opportunity to bring their specific interests into a particular project. So a lot of us who have been teaching 260, the intro course, have been offering up an opportunity to do a magazine design, for example, or something that's that's comparable, so that people are getting an opportunity to write more than what they come in thinking they're going to write, like you said, you know, a procedural or a, a proposal or something like that. So we've got that journalistic element, and we've got the journalism course. We've taught a number of courses, including, as you pointed out, you know, digital publishing, electronic publishing, writing for publication, um, and we haven't yet done a course that is specifically something like publication design, but then, of course, there's a course that parallels that that's offered by the graphic design program, and a right. few of our students have done that course as well. And, you know, in a course like 285, um, for those of you who are not here that's writing in electronic spaces, it's, a, it's an intro to web design and beyond kind of course. For the last several years now, I've taught as the, as the capstone project for it, so to speak, the design of an ebook such that you could distribute through Amazon or Barnes and Noble or something like that for viewing on a Kindle or a Nook. And, and, you know, all of those little elements prepare you in direct ways to participate in the publishing industry. And then the students get to decide to what extent they are going to engage in or invest in any one of those projects. And those that are really invested and engaged, they're the ones who are putting together portfolios and then going after things like an internship in New York City. Um, we've actually got one of our early grads of the program, Carly Toizan, who finished her master's degree at the Columbia Journalism School, the University of Missouri, 
um, who last I knew, I don't know if this is still accurate as of today, but she was working in Cleveland for a publishing, a magazine conglomerate where she was doing research and articles and editing for several different publications and, and having a blast doing it. So in the, the work that we do is real, though the work that we do is, is at times intense, and it prepares students to be able to jump out and try to grab onto some of these opportunities that come up, whether it's through an internship or further study or, um, you know, a, a position. And I know locally, uh, well, Dr. Bill is the internship coordinator currently, but even in my role as internship coordinator a couple of years ago, uh, this is something I think that our programs had relationships with uh, publishing organizations within the area. Uh, we've placed students, uh, for example, with Great Lakes Bay Publishing. Uh, we've had uh, folks involved with, uh, as Dr. Bill mentioned, Cardinal Sins, which is a, a, a campus publication. Uh, we've also had students um, uh, who have worked in publishing interns with uh, internships with Literacy Link, which uh, was a... Um, a hard copy paper version journal that I think is in the process of hopefully moving more digital. I know that there's been some editorial shake up there, but um, you know, so there are opportunities within the program where we've helped students find that are interested in editing and publishing, find places where they can gain internships locally here. They don't necessarily have to go out to, to New York, even though those are really cool as well. Um, so I guess speaking of New York, why don't we bring in our interview with Sarah Kitchens uh, and listen to her talk about her experiences uh, in her job and, and, and how she landed the gig and what she's doing with it. Um, and, and then we'll kind of be back on the flip side of that. So enjoy. Here we are with another episode of The Tech Report. This is Dr. Bill Williamson from the Rhetoric and Professional Writing Department here at Saginaw Valley State University, and I'm joined in the studio today by Dr. Scott Kovaleski, my usual co-host. Hello. We've got Dr. Brad Hartzog, our department head, with us today. Hello. And we are lucky enough to have on hand a 2010 grad from the PTW program, Sarah Kitchen, who has been working in the publishing industry in New York City for the past six years and is now a deputy, deputy managing editor with Bloomsbury Publishing. So welcome, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, one of the things that um, we're excited about having Sarah back for is that, so she was a student in the program when there was a lot of change happening, including a lot of new curriculum development that focused on different elements of the publishing industry and different elements of the editing industry. And then she was doing a lot of stuff with video and, you know, went off into the wild blue yonder, had some crazy cool experiences out there in New York City and has made quite the nice little career for herself. So we are excited to have her here and to get her talking about some of those developments and some of those challenges. Why don't you talk about the position that you are in right now and the kinds of responsibilities you have and the kinds of projects that you are working on for your current employer? Sure. So I'm the deputy managing editor for Bloomsbury. I work in the adult trade division. So the types of books I work on are nonfiction and fiction for adults, um, literary fiction, and then all sorts of nonfiction, everything from politics to popular science to history. So uh, what I do is, as a um, 
managing editor, production editor, um, it's different than sort of a regular editor in the way that they're the ones who are going to acquire the book and go through a big developmental edit with the author and do the first kind of big overhaul. And then by the time it comes to me, we're ready to move into the copy editing stage, design and proofreading, and all of just the final stages of the editorial process up until we're ready to sign off on it and print it, hopefully error-free. That's awesome. And and there's a ton of responsibility that comes along with that. Um, what are some of the recent titles or authors that you've worked with? Uh, anybody that, that you want to share? Um, let's see. Some of my favorite ones. One of my first books I started working on at Bloomsbury was a collection of short stories by an author named Arlene Heyman, and that was a really fun one. It was her first book, and it was my first book at Bloomsbury. It was fiction, and she involved me in the process in a way that was even a little more than a production editor might get to do in terms of just asking my, me my opinion on certain things, and uh, we, we had our shared challenges with that book right down to the design. I remember we were getting, what we were getting back from our typesetter was much too closely set together and it looked like there weren't spaces between the words so everything from that to I don't know just all sorts of challenges with that first book and then it ended up doing very well and got like glowing reviews in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and all over the place it was a big success so that had to make you feel pretty darn good yeah that was great and um, right off the bat kind of uh, had a very positive experience with an author and made things easier for the editors, I was able to handle a lot of uh, a lot of the things that we had to get done in order for that book to publish. So that was a really good first experience with that one. Um, for nonfiction, I did a book called Crisis Point um, with former speakers of the house, uh, Tom Daschle and Trent Lott. Oh, that's really cool. Wow. They collaborated on that and about um, uh, dysfunction in Congress and how what we need to do in order to to make things happen and about how things used to be pretty different relationships and how they used to be able to disagree with each other but get things done so yeah that's something that we need to see more of yeah um absolutely mm -hmm. so yeah you get to do a lot of different kinds of titles and it sounds like i mean those those two couldn't probably be more diverse yeah yeah do you have any idea at this point how many books you have been part of the process for during your time with bloomsbury let's see probably close to 40 at this point that's pretty incredible yeah and i know uh, we were talking a little bit before the show started that right now you're working on you said like 9 10 11 books at the moment mm -hmm. yeah and that, that's a pretty typical workload for you to have that many going yeah a lot of a lot of balls in the air all the time moving from one project to the next so um and I'm the one who sets the schedule for, you know, getting us from manuscript transmittal to on time, like with our press date. So it's a lot of stuff going on at once, a lot of freelancers to keep track of and uh, dealing with the author's schedules, too, because, you know, they don't just write books. They're professionals right, in, right. in different aspects. So people have lives outside of publishing. They do. Yeah. Other than you. Yeah. <laughs> Your life is right there. That's all I do. <laughs> So talk a little bit, if you would, about the evolution of your career. So 2010 grad, you started off, I know, as an unpaid intern with Skyhorse Publishing, and now you're with Bloomsbury. So give us a you, the Reader's Digest version of what happened in between. Sure. Um, Skyhorse, when I started off with them, was had a little bit more of a startup feel to it. 
and they were a smaller company that grew rapidly in the four and a half years that I was there. Uh, what was unique about Skyhorse was that you got to kind of hit the ground running and get a lot of different responsibilities right away in sort of a sink or swim fashion, and the harder you were willing to work and to learn on the go, the more success you were going to have there. Uh, whereas opposed to maybe some place that's a little more corporate or a bigger company might start you off with data entry or just right. more, you know, very specifically outlined tasks that you could, you'd have to take your time and... Right, you went in the opposite direction where you started off with an infinite seemingly array of responsibilities mm-hmm. and now you've become more narrowly defined and more focused, but mm-hmm. but with higher level responsibilities at the same time in a different way. Right, yeah. And the cool thing about Skyhorse was that if you wanted to try something, you could do it. And that's how I, uh, I would work with our, our typesetters who, you know, we would send manuscripts to and they, at the end of the process, would return the InDesign files to us. And they relied on us a lot of times to input the final corrections and wow. also export final files, which now is kind of bizarre to me thinking about how right. this is right. definitely not what I do anymore. But... <laughs> um, I sort of learned through receiving these files of typeset books from uh, our our freelance typesetters, just kind of looking into it through the back end about how different styles were set up, how right. how just like how this file was put together, and uh, after doing you know dozens of books, I eventually learned how to typeset books myself. So if we needed to in a pinch, we had a very short production schedule. Um, or an instant book, as we would call them, where right. something very topical, something we wanted to put together quickly and print you know, within the next month and get it on shelves right away, I would typeset that in-house for us. So you have this really detailed working knowledge of so many different elements of the publishing industry at this point. You've literally been just about everything you could possibly be, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, we wore a lot of hats there, so <laughs> a lot of yeah. It was it was a cool way to get experience doing those things. So I'm now that what I do is more specialized. I'm still informed of what's going on in other parts of the process. So, right, right. And that's been very valuable. And that probably helps you in working with people where you are now. And I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about making that transition from Skyhorse, where you wore so many hats, to your job now where you're more focused. Coming from a position like that and going to uh, Bloomsbury, I kind of had to learn how to interview for just the job that was in front of me and not um, be tempted to talk about some of the other things that they weren't necessarily asking me to do at this company. Um, And that's not to say that what I do at Bloomsbury is just uh, a lot easier, less important, or I have all this spare time on my hands, but it's just more focused and more of... uh, this sort of project management that I do um, within, you know, um, different parameters. So I, yeah, I, <laughs> sorry, I'm doing really bad at this now. This is easier. <laughs> you did well, a great job. Well, one of the things that um, it strikes me is that, so before, wherever a book was at in the production process when you were at Skyhorse, whatever needed to be done that day, you might have to be the person that did it. Mm -hmm. And now you're expected to be more expert 
in a lot of ways, but with a narrower field of vision or a narrower field of influence. So, you know, it's the whole thing about you can be a, a, a jack of all trades, master of none, or you can be really, really good at a narrower field of expertise. And it strikes me that now, one, you have the luxury, but also the responsibility to be really, really good at a smaller number of things. Mm-hmm. And focusing on the things that like I really want to be doing at this point, I think, too, and getting that opportunity through this company. Something yeah. that's unique about um, Bloomsbury is that we as the production editors uh, do get to work directly with the authors throughout right. those those latter stages of copy editing and proofreading. Uh, so, and that's something I really enjoy doing is working directly with writers and, and helping them make their books as good as they can be. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things you were talking about a little bit earlier as well is how a big part of your job now is managing relationships. And I wonder if you could talk a, a little bit about that because you were talking about the 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 need to understand your author and the book that is in front of you. But then more than that, you know, having some sense of the market and some sense of what editors are going to work well with that particular author um, mm-hmm. and and how to manage all of that. So I wonder if you could talk about, about those relationships and how much the, the combination of chaos and, and, and creativity yeah, that comes together course. with that. Um, every author is, you know, different, and every copy editor, I guess, has their own approach as well. And um, we always try to pair a copy editor with a type of manuscript, you know, that they, they enjoy working on or they have experience working on. And um, it's, it's my job sort of at the beginning to get a feel for how the author is going to respond to certain types of edits that are requested, whether they want a heavier hand or a lighter hand, whether they want to know about every comma that's changed or whether they want, you know, that stuff kind of cleaned up and just to be consulted about some of the like larger issues that are queries that really require their attention. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of a getting to know them at first and making, um, just assessment of how to, proceed based on the information that I have with usually just a few short email exchanges between me and that author or what I know about them from the editor and the scope of the project and things like that. And then it's just being able to make adjustments as we go and really help them make it the work that they want it to be. And I always tell an author when I hand their work back to them that's been copy edited by a professional copy editor that ultimately this is your work and I want you to feel comfortable with all the changes that we're going to make and uh, we we do mostly electronic copy editing with track changes, and so I try to tell them this is all reversible, and we can you know work with you whichever direction you want to go. But most of the time, you know, our, our copy editors are professionals, and they do great work. And I would say the great majority of the time, the authors just very pleased and um, in admiration of the work that our freelancers do. That's really cool. Yeah. So as you've worked with authors, have you found some that have? face challenges in using technology definitely yeah um sometimes they're not that experienced with using track changes and in microsoft word because apparently this all used to be done with pencils and paper (laughs) i don't know how that worked out but um we i it's my job to sort of coach them through learning how our process works because um technology does make it quite a bit easier it's kind of you know, right. crazy how much more you can 
accomplish uh, rapidly by different people collaborating on one document and making, you know, proposing changes and just having that asynchronous communication happen that quickly and just emailing it to each other and it all being tracked there so you have a record, a neat record of The things that we kind of take for granted these days is just built into that communication process. And that's, um, I mean, there's been a lot of changes, you know. Mm -hmm. That might make it more challenging to manage that relationship because you talked about how you might not meet some of the authors until near the end of the process. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, So a lot of this is done via email or phone in case they, you know, want to talk through something that's a little bit complicated. I'm not explaining that well via via email, but um, it's been mostly successful with that. I think I've turned on some authors to uh, electronic editing. You know, sometimes, too, though, it can seem a little more invasive to your work to have people, um, because it's so much easier to make changes um, to a document electronically as opposed to writing in the margins. You know, and it's one of those things where sometimes we forget, especially when we work so much with text and especially when we when we interact and collaborate easily, that not everybody does and that writing is still in really powerfully personal and sometimes, you know, all about that individual passion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's difficult to recognize that um, authors aren't always comfortable with those same things that we are. Right, yeah. Uh, but they're they're a fun group of people to work with, you know, writers. That's kind of like the main reason why I do what I do. So, right. yeah. Well, if can I can jump in really quick, because I, I, um, one of the things I've picked up on here uh, as we've been having this conversation and listening to you talk, Sarah, is that you have a, uh, at least what I'm noticing, a clear passion for what you do. And so I'm wondering, is this something that you had when you were here, um, obviously, uh, you graduated before I started. Uh, and so I didn't know you as a student, but I'm just wondering, like, did you know when you were a student here that publishing and working with authors is what you wanted to do? Or did you, or I guess, when did you develop that passion for the work that you're doing? I didn't know that this was specifically what I wanted to do. I had, uh, a lot of different interests, I guess, when I left SVSU, cause I had gotten to do a lot of different things here and had, kind of diversified my resume in a way that was really cool. And I, I worked for um, the Valley Vanguard. I was an intern for Literacy Link, the um, English department's newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my PTW classes, working at the Writing Center. Uh, so all of that sort of influenced the decisions that I was making. I thought about newspaper journalism. I dabbled in TV production a little bit mm-hmm. with um, some internships in New York before I kind of gravitated toward publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I guess I just, uh, through my internship in book publishing, which I just sort of found by just looking around online at what different jobs I could do with the skill set I'd been forming here. And once I was actually there and doing it, mm-hmm. and um, kind of got lucky that they needed a production assistant at the time at Skyhorse and... I just sort of randomly started helping the managing editor there as an intern. Um, kind of their, in, their, their interns were generalized and would just help whoever needed help at the moment. And some, I think, gravitated more toward um, the editors, and I was more interested in um, the production editing part of it. Mm-hmm. So I would go and kind of ask for more assignments or like things that I could help with um, from those people. And because I wanted, I was just suddenly interested in what they were doing and wanted to know more about it. 
and that kind of led to my first position there. I went from intern to um, the production assistant that they needed. So, and then it just sort of grew from there. That's great. And you even talked about how initially, when you had your first contacts with the company, that they seemed non-committal. And what happened after that? Because you took a leap of faith, didn't you? I, I did, yeah. <laughs> I started looking for jobs. I knew I wanted to go to New York. My older brother was living there at the time. I was going to crash on his couch and hope I could make something happen. But I you know, really started looking for jobs, I think, my last semester here at SVSU. And I would mm-hmm. contact all the companies I could find um, who were hiring interns or entry-level positions. But it was tough to do when I couldn't come in for an interview, when they have so many great right. applicants who can just show up and we'll interview in person. Walk through the door. Uh, with Skyhorse, I'd gone a phone interview and then would follow up, follow up, follow up, and wasn't able to make anything happen. And then I graduated, <laughs> I was out of time, and so I, you know, I moved because that was the plan. I spent like my first few days there just in this application hole, like t- doing whatever I could. Like, I'm here now. Anybody want to talk to me? Type thing. And uh, Skyhorse got back to me and was like, "Yeah, you know, come in 10, 10 a.m. tomorrow." And I did, and right, I uh, was fortunately able to get that position still how long were you an in unpaid intern for before they hired you on full-time it's just the summer i think so about three yeah, months that's what i was remembering is that it was something like yeah. that they do pay their interns now i think most yeah. people do might even be the law there now but it's a good thing i mean I, i've often thought of the unpaid internship as a particularly challenging moral arrangement (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah trying to be circumspect there but at this yeah it's it's really nice to know that that those positions are are more often being paid now because magazines and publishing in general and politics are really the two industries that um that have still a lot of unpaid internships in them Mm mm-hmm to follow up on that experience, what advice would you give to others who are interested, perhaps students in our program, who are interested in becoming editors? I think to get started early and start um, looking for different, like internships I think are um, one of the primary ways to get into the book, publi- indus- book publishing industry, whether right. that's an editorial track or a marketing or publicity or sales or anything like that. Um, is to, to start looking early. I think we were talking about earlier about how some of the bigger companies, I think, have, like Penguin, for example, has uh, a Facebook page that I found very useful right, that right. was dedicated just to their internship program. Um, so it's, it's taking a look at that and what the requirements are and just, I don't know, just a- applying for anything that looks interesting to you and being there definitely helped me to go and... Right. Um, oh, and just getting chosen, you know, for interviews for whether it's an entry-level job or an internship, uh, obviously networking is big, and if you have somebody who can introduce you to somebody, that's ideal. But otherwise, you're throwing your resume and cover letter into you know this online portal and are going to get... Th- there's so many other applicants that you're lucky if you get right. chosen. But right. um, if you have strong um, like job application materials, it's possible to get pulled from those. And I think that... PTW students in particular uh, would be good at, you know, right. figuring out how to get, um, actually get the interviews. We would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that uh, I definitely learned some things in the program that helped me um, write good cover letters and right. know my audience and 
what different you know how to how to look at a, a, a job posting and what the requirements were and then right. tailor that cover letter to that in order to get chosen by the person and or robot who's gonna right. scan that for what they need to see I don't know if I've asked this question of you before so coming out of SPSU I would number you among our more accomplished graduates I mean you really were tenacious about you know your own professional development and took advantage, like you said, of a lot of different kinds of opportunities. So were you a strong competitive candidate? Did you feel in that environment out there? I think so. I think I had a lot of, um, like you said, like diverse things on my resume that were, would lend well to like a publishing intern, like my work with the newspaper, the, with literacy link, the writing center, like, right. These are all things that I was doing, and those, you know, don't have to be the only things or whatever. But uh, it, it was. I think it made my resume strong, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a giant, you know, New York City internship with like right. Penguin or Random House or whatever in order to get you in the door for an entry level position. I suspect that you have not yet run across someone who is intimately aware of Saginaw Valley State University and all that might happen here. <laughs> no, but then we talk about the Colbert Report and how he used to... Uh, yeah, there you go. I forgot about with that. With our minor league hockey team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the random funny connections. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I know that you've got to be moving along relatively shortly here, so I'm going to throw you a completely different kind of curveball question. All right, let's do it. Springsteen. Favorite personal moment, favorite song. What? You're really going to let me tell the story in the yeah, podcast? Yeah, do it. Do you, have you ever heard my favorite Springsteen personal moment story? I read it. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. The my, world doesn't all know it, though. Oh, wow. Yeah. No. Um, this I'm a huge Springsteen fan. I actually saw three Springsteen shows this year. Um, my first one was right before I graduated from Saginaw Valley at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And... We had we had general uh, admission tickets and we got miraculously into the front row and uh, during one of the last songs he walked over to the other side of the stage and I was in the front row and everybody just sort of surged forward and um, standing there and he's standing right in front of me and he tosses his guitar behind his back and reaches down and puts his pick in my hand and closes my fingers around it and that's how I got Bruce Springsteen's guitar pick. That is really awesome. That's yeah. very, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I was a fan for life after that. <laughs> Favorite song? Favorite song? Do you can you pick one? Um I have to go with Thunder Road, I think. That's a pretty uh, cool choice. It is. Yeah. Well, Sarah, we are really, really happy to have had the opportunity to bring you in here today and to give you a chance to to talk to us and um and to talk to our our grads and our soon-to-be grads and anybody else who might be out there listening when this all comes to fruition here. So thank you so much for the time that you've taken to spend with us, and um, and good luck. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. I don't know about you, Bill, but I kind of want to get Bruce Springsteen's guitar pick, too. <laughs> you know, we, we've at least got to buy a live album and get our lighters out. Certainly, or cell phones these yeah, days. There you I go. Guess, there you right? go. Yeah, yeah, get a lighter app. <laughs> so we want to thank Sarah for joining us and taking time out of her visit uh, last November to come by and see us and chat with us. and And she's doing so many cool things in New York. Uh, and I think it's just emblematic of the kinds of opportunities again that we can 
hope in some little ways our students achieve uh, in, in their own professional and personal goals. Um, so thank you, Sarah. Uh, as we move forward here, we have a lot, uh, I think as, as Dr. Bell alluded to earlier, a lot of really cool ideas for show topics this semester, this year. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, bringing an, an episode that we recorded, or a conversation we recorded uh, with colleagues over at Delta College and some of the really cool things that we've got going on in collaboration with them. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about app design and user experiences, which is something that uh, Dr. Bill and I are really involved in here uh, over the last year or so. And again, part of the hiatus that we've had. That other cardinal thing. Yeah, the other cardinal thing. Uh, we're going to talk, as, as I alluded to, also the PTW Recording Studio and uh, give a little preview and, and discussion of what that's all about. Uh, and then we also want to hear from you. What do you guys want to hear? Uh, are there any topics or ideas, uh, anything that you'd like to have us talk about? Or if you'd like to be a guest, uh, certainly let us know. You can reach us uh, on Facebook at Facebook slash The Tech Technical Rapport. And then we're also on Twitter at The Tech Rapport. Uh, so let us know. And uh, we appreciate you listening. And we will be back shortly. 